if we choose <laughs> not to stomp on cranberries in our bathtubs, because our bathtubs are nasty, to make Coach Sarah's mom's um, uh, cranberry sauce from scratch, should we Don't feel guilty about that? Don't you dare make my mom's cranberry sauce by stomping on shit in your bathtub. <laughs> but I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta That's all I have to say. Hi, I'm Coach MK, founder of the Fitness Protection Program. I'm a run coach, not a life coach. We're never really talking about the running. Running is the tool. It's the conduit we use to examine the world we live in, as well as its impact on our own lives and the lives of the people around us. How we react to certain people and to certain stories tells us a lot about how we view ourselves. I'm committed to the thoughtful, intentional exploration of the importance of running so that no one discounts their own badassery ever. Final note, this podcast is geared towards every runner who won't lose their home, livelihood, or health insurance if they show up to the corral with a hangover. Not that I'm encouraging you to do that. Just saying. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the Fitness Protection Podcast. The most shameful holiday America has on tap is right around the corner. Nothing brings out guilt and shame more than a holiday designed to force you to perform gratitude, unless you're a member of the First Nations, and then literally no one cares, unfortunately. You're going to see a whole lot of memes coming your way, and we'll probably feel a whole lot of things this month. Memes that make light of binge eating, reminding us not to be gluttons, but to definitely consume and definitely be grateful amidst photos of families dropping off donations and plating meals in soup kitchens. You can't even miss it on TV. Every time you turn on TV, you will be reminded that people are homeless and animals are too. There's a whole lot of shooting going on this month. I should be grateful. I should feel better. I should appreciate all this food I want to eat instead of feeling ashamed that I want to eat it. I should be grateful for family members that make me feel like crap because some people just don't have family and on and on and on. Let me be clear. Everyone has something to be grateful for. Just one thing, at least one thing. And if you're having a hard time finding it and feeling guilty, that's valid. If your list is long and you feel guilty, that's valid too. Be grateful is frequently thrown around like a grenade designed to end a conversation where a person is expressing discomfort. It's a sure way to shut a conversation down and increase that discomfort. Yay, twofer! I have no doubt the people around you are doing the best they can with very limited tools. And I also have no doubt that they cannot see the harm they are causing. Many of us will be told to lighten up when we express our discomfort this holiday season. And I just can't do that, you guys. So once again, I brought in your favorite reinforcements. Diet culture brings fear and dysfunction to the house long before our families show up. In this ongoing series, a therapist and an elementary school nutritionist will offer tips and tools to enlighten us so we can lighten up without actually setting things on fire. We can't make the world safer, but we can reclaim our time when it's time to celebrate with food and family. Dahlia Kinsey is the school nutrition dietitian utilizing a background in public health and school nutrition and preventative health care. Jumi Olawale is a Gottman Method therapist. That is a tongue twister. She helps couples rebuild healthy, shame-free relationships by reframing difficult conversations. I'm hoping that today's roundtable discussion can help us recognize the messages we are really sending our kids so we can lead the way in helping them develop healthy relationships with food and us. Welcome back, ladies. Feels like we just did this. 
I know, right? Thanks yes. for having me. It's so good to be back. It's yes. good to be back. And you're like on a cruise right now, Dahlia? Not yet. So I'm leaving in a couple of weeks. I'm going to New Zealand and <gasps> I'm super excited. I hope to do a lot of fun hiking activities and it's going to be a good time. I mean, you are going to do the Lord of the Rings tour. Absolutely. My oh, husband yeah. doesn't Yay. know it yet. I told him that he doesn't seem to be getting it. He keeps asking, like, is it really necessary that we do that Harry Potter thing? I'm like, if you don't, <laughs> stop. <laughs> it's not Harry Potter. And yes, we're doing it. <laughs> you're, oh, my gosh. You're a blur. I had no idea. That's amazing. I love it. Wow. Well, that sounds really exciting. I know I need a vacation and I'm going to sit here and try not to be jealous because I did not expect New Zealand to be come out of your mouth when you said that. But the Halloween episode of this podcast was a rip roaring success. And we are so excited to do this again. But before we go any further, we need to know your position on an incredibly divisive issue. Pumpkin pie. Yes or no? Yes. How can it be? No. Well, does that mean there's no sweet potato pie? Oh, I mean, I, it's I, a I, yes <laughs> and. Oh, I just, yeah. it's yeah, a yeah. yes and. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Yeah. Thank I, you for that framing. Yes and <laughs> sweet potato pie. I think a lot of people aren't fortunate enough to have sweet potato pie at the oh. Thanksgiving table. I think that's a very Southern thing. Is it, Sarah? Have you ever had that at your Thanksgiving before? Um, no, not at my Thanksgiving. My Thanksgiving has always had sweet potato with like marshmallows, um, mm-hmm. which is cool. Oh, no, it's not the same as sweet potato. Yeah. Those are oh, really good. God. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. That, that's not a pie though. That's just, no, that's just No, jams. it's not a pie. It's not a pie. But we have always been a pumpkin pie family. It, I announced proudly at the age of eight that it was my favorite pie, precisely when my brother told everyone that he didn't like it and he wanted to have, he didn't want to have it anymore. I was like, well, good. Well. Cause it's my favorite more for me. <laughs> Love has that. worked out you. in my favor since then. And that, and look at you now, a doctor of Italian letters, getting exactly what you want. <laughs> just, hey, <laughs> you hired me, MK, just saying. I, you know, I love it. Italian letters. <laughs> letters. Just the letters, not the whole language, only the letters. I, that's... That's, that's how they say it in Italy. And then they literally put a crown of laurels on your head and sing a song to you. That's your graduation please, ceremony. Please, oh, I love please that. Tell I me there's a, a video. I need a video of that, please. Uh, not of me, but there are thousands of videos of it happening online. I'll find one. That's we'll amazing. post a link. Cause this is the oh. same song every single time. Then I think we're going to have to do this for you in a live stream uh, okay. at some point. All right, sounds good. Now that we're now that we're exploring our simultaneous live stream options, I'm I'm all over it. I'll I'll add it to the list after donuts. Though we got to do donuts first. I'm just saying we're introducing videos in 2020. I mean, it's go we're going Ooh. like up in a big way, and I'm thinking that might be a great place to kick it all off. We're gonna have to crown Chrissy uh, at three days at the fair, and then we're gonna have yes. to put the laurels on your head. I mean, we're I will find something to do with you ladies too. I mean, this is just gonna be. I'll take a Yeah, everyone has to get crowned with something. So we'll that will take a crown. I'm 100 on board. Amazing. Amazing. Because you are never too old for medals or crowns, as proven by our audience who runs marathons and 5Ks, sometimes just for the blank. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I did a 5K this weekend. I did run, but I was there. It was fun, though. And I I do like the medals. I just collect them and hang them around my office so everyone knows how athletic I am. 
I mean, there's no other hobby like as an adult where you get a medal period, or you don't get trophies. And it's another reason why I watch all these grownups collecting these medals too. And I, and I'm like, no, you know, you cannot turn around and start pooping all over participation ribbons for your kids. Right. (laughs) I mean, cause like what you're, that's a mixed message. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I had no chance of placing. Uh, So it doesn't mean anything more than I was there. Yeah, right. It's a participation trophy for real. I didn't think of it that way. I mean, it really, because when, if we're all going to be like, well, participation is its own reward and being part of the team is the experience, blah, blah, blah. And then only give an MVP medal. What message are you sending? Especially if you have that on the wall. Like, it's just a conversation. I don't know. It's like, be be consistent about it or like at least recognize your hand in it. No wonder your kid is confused. Like, if if winning is the only thing that matters, then take a look at. You know, so the news in the running world this week that had to do with, I don't even want to talk about it again. Okay. And I don't know if you ladies aren't in the running, if you weren't watching like Mary Kane and the big thing in the New York Times about the abuse she suffered at the hands of um, yeah, her coach so Salazar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, well, it's one of the reasons I say, like, thank God we're not elite because the sort of person that is going to do whatever it takes to get to the top. Unless you have a big team vocally, like surrounding you at all times, making sure that you have not crossed that line. Because what coaching is at our level where it's like, yeah, I just want a faster 5K than last time. Or you know what? I just really want to beat my my bitch cousin who shows up, doesn't train and is really mean to me afterwards. I'm like, I am all about that. I'm like, sure. But that's a different set of parameters than the people who are trying to win or compete on it in an international level. And it's coaching is very, very different. The things you have to worry about that you have to consider on a minute-to-minute basis. And I really love coaching hobby joggers. I'm like, I will take like being your bitch cousin year after year over the actual (laughs) heartbreak of trying to be the best. And you have to think so much about food. It's hard not to obsess over it. That line becomes really, really thin. Right. It's like on a completely different level. Even I know just during undergrad, we had a professor who specifically works with gymnasts and people who are training on an Olympic level and the rates of eating disorders among people who have competed like that is through the roof. But it's such a different thing than what the average person goes through that it's definitely going to be more complicated to not develop an obsessive outlook on food when you really do need to look at it to try and outperform your competition, it can give you an edge. It is something to consider. But like you said, it's a different level. The coaching is different. The levels that people are trying to push you to, it's totally different. I'm kind of glad also that that isn't my life. When I first got started as a coach, I thought I needed to have a certain, like a couple of really fast people so that I would be taken serious. I just had all these babies. I knew I was going to have a couple more. How is anyone going to take me seriously if I'm not like super fast or I'm not training super fast people? I really quickly came to realize that it, it has been so deeply ingrained. I would go to all of these like coaching clinics and seminars and, you know, try to have the creds required to train really fast people. And was like, I don't understand this focus about weight. Yes, you need to know weight to calculate power, but there are tools the client can do that themselves. I can write a whole training program based around power without ever needing to know what my client weighs. Like, shouldn't we be removing this from the conversation or, you know, looking at it a little bit differently? And and everyone's like, well, it's very simple. Less you weigh, the less you move. 
And I'm like, that is really simplistic. All right. By that. And I actually said this because, <laughs> because I love making friends. I'm like, well, by that logic, then, you know, you know, Germany would still have concentration camps instead of Olympic training camps. Like those people at Auschwitz, they were starving. They were, they were tiny. They'd be real fast, right? That's where the logic breaks down. And because, you know, granted, I, you know, it, it's never great to, you know, bring Auschwitz into a conversation that more that should shut it down. But I'm like, but there's, it's a thing when people are starving, you can't generate power. You literally don't have the energy to move, which is so it's not about losing weight. But the how is always more important than just getting it done. So you can't ignore it. And so if we're going somewhere where losing weight is required, then we have to ask why, what do we need to get before we even get started? Because the line between, you know, your average, your average, uh, and I'll, I'll stop on this elite uh, female runner has a body fat percentage of around 12 and a half percent. And the reason that number is kind of shocking is because the point past which a doctor will be concerned about your body's ability to keep your body, your internal organs warm and functioning is 13%. So when we're talking about when I never written big posts about this, when I talk about race weight, I am literally wanting to know like where the number is because tracking body fat on a daily basis. I mean, if you had yours measured, it's really complicated. It's just easier to get on the scale. So when you have someone who might be close to that line, who a single workout could push them over that line, one hard, long run, and they're like at 11% body fat, like that's it's really, really serious stuff. But it's also not my job to calculate this between the, the person and their nutritionist. So I feel like weight is never a really good cue. It never has been. And we need to get it out of the conversation. And if it doesn't matter how fit and fast you are, you will always feel guilty for what you put in your mouth and have to think about it a little too much. So it's hard for us at the holidays. It's going to be a whole lot harder for a whole lot of people, especially people who have been great at some point and might still have uh, hangups from hearing you need to lose weight if you really want to go to the Olympics and gymnastics or whatever from a really young age. Yeah, absolutely. And on Thanksgiving, I mean, I see this everywhere, the straight line that is drawn between run the Thanksgiving 5K before you go stuff yourself at the thing. Like the one that I run every year that I love has that little tagline at the bottom of the website. And I'm like, oh, guys, does that really need to be there? Why do we have to draw that straight line between doing this event that we should be here to do because we're excited about it and we enjoy it and people put turkey hats on their heads and it's it's fun and it's like a tradition in our town versus like, no, this is something that you have to do to to make up for what you're going to do later, which is eat dinner. Oh, my God. Which is right, bad. Right. That's disordered thinking and that's disordered really eating. Right? I'm going to have to do this to cancel yeah. out that. It's a binge. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's a major issue. And look at how accepted that is because that is all over the place. That's the messaging. People think it's cute. That's how deeply accepting we are of the idea that you have to earn the right to eat, which if you say it out loud, that obviously is not a healthy way to look at eating. And this is a time to hang out with your family and enjoy yourself. If you haven't been restricting all year, I don't see why it has to be a day to binge. Like this is a time to be connecting to people you don't get to see all year, typically. You know, and maybe, but that's why some of us binge. If there's food in my mouth, I can't curse at them. Mm. So. (laughs) (laughs) But then that goes back to what you said about the whole obligation. If people make you feel that triggered, how long do you have to stay over there? Should you really have to be there all day? Or can you just kind of be there for a couple of hours and go someplace else? I mean, go go run a local 5K. That's what I was going to say. The messaging the whole way there. Oh, my gosh. Well, both of you ladies are black. 
You identify as black, right? I can yes. say that. Okay. For people who okay. can't see it, yes. I'm, I'm just saying, I, 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 I think we all understand that I cannot identify as black. That's not how it works. Um, at the same time, uh, they can't, they can't see you. And I figure with, uh, you know, Dahlia, Dahlia Kinsey, they might not guess that, you know, you're that a, a Afro Caribbean beauty. And Jimmy Olawale, I mean, if they Google you just like I did, they might accidentally find a, a soccer player. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> That's cool. It's I had to go back name. and do like Julie Ola, Jimmy Olawale therapist. <laughs> Julie, yeah, Jimmy Olawale Gutman therapist. Oh my God. It took, yeah. It took, <laughs> I love it. Like, how did she have the time? Like, how did she and soccer? Those are, so, those are two big careers. Yeah. 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 It's a lot to juggle. I mean, yeah, it's almost, almost as much as getting a PhD in Italian letters. It's a lot of, <laughs> time suck. You are no <laughs> Never going to hear so, the end of that. Nope. Nope. Or your crowning ceremony, which I'm already planning in my head when I tune out of these conversations (laughs) for minutes or two. So ladies, is this holiday for you a chance to get together and laugh at what white people eat? Seriously, Thanksgiving food is really bland. It is so (laughs) bland. Turkey, stuffing, candy yams, cranberry sauce, pumpkin pie. There's nothing you could put hot sauce on. That's Oh my God, that's true. (laughs) But you would want to. And even hot sauce can't save it. Do you even do hot sauce, Jimmy? No. See? <laughs> I don't. I, I put hot I sauce on everything. Yeah, I do <laughs> put hot sauce on a lot of things, but Thanksgiving in my house is very much a combination of both the American and the Nigerian culture. So there's a lot of Nigerian food that I cook. And then, of course, we have to have the turkey. And my son and my daughter, well, my son in particular, likes the pumpkin pie and he likes to have stuff like that. So yeah, the tradition in our household is not the typical thing. That, I mean, I, and I also think that each household might be different. In our house, you're going to have all the Nigerian dishes as well as the turkey and the stuffing and all that. The way that I cook mine is by going to Boston Market. <laughs> the way you cook it. I love it. I love, love it. it. That's amazing. I like the way yep. you phrase that. I, I feel like you could, you could go to Popeye's and get everyone the sandwich. And then like, I mean, that's when in two these days. Shoot. Yes. Well, it's yes. funny. Like, yes. When you talk about um, white people food, I don't think I ever really thought there was such a thing, really, because right. I've been raised like with other Southerners and they Because it's it just food, food, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's just Southern food. But now that I, I only do Thanksgiving with my husband's family. So I, I've been, we've been married for like 13 years and he's white and all his family's white. Now I know what people mean when they say white people food. That means marshmallows where you don't need any marshmallows, mayo where you didn't need any mayo. There's one dish where and you would think it was a delicacy. People used to ask my mother-in-law to make this for church. It's literally just a canned pear, half a canned pear, a cherry on top of a little bed of mayo with cheese sprinkled on top. And they act like it's such a treat. Okay, y'all are both making faces. I, maybe this is Southern white people food. I don't know. But when I have complained about how bogus this dish is to other people, they're like, oh, yeah, I love that. That and like Waterford salad again with the marshmallows and crazy stuff that doesn't belong. And um, I wow. don't know. Oh, my God. Know. <laughs> that sounds almost as good as like a Jell-O mold with like Spam yes, tossed yes. in it. Yes. 
Yes. And because my mother-in-law's older, like God rest her soul, she just passed away last January. Well, this January, honestly. So this is going to be our first holiday without her. So she has that old school, like white folks in the fifties cooking. So remember when people tried to put everything in jello, like everything was a gelatin something. Yes. So she was like, a young mom in her prime trying out new dishes in that era. So yeah, she she wasn't afraid to use a marshmallow. She was not. A friend of mine found (laughs) one of those cookbooks, by the way, and decided to go through and make every single one. And her Instagram, it just like made me want to vomit. I'm like, I had to unfollow her for a while and be like, just tell me when it's over. Yeah, those were some rough years in America's culinary history. What a truly after that came like cooking everything in the microwave. Remember that nastiness? Oh my god. Uh. Yes. Oh my god. Well, (laughs) but I'm I'm still I'm 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 really kind of traumatized by like everything we're talking about right now. The hair and the cherry and the man. Oh my god. People, you seriously, you seriously, wow, you you seriously said cheese on top. Yes. Yes. It's so good. I can't even remember what they call I have to ask. Um, because I'm like, that's not food, y'all. That's not food. And they're like, it's a specialty we can't about the holidays. I'm like, y'all just need to stop. And of course, there's a lot of regular food too. Like, um, one of my nephews in law, he got a deep fryer. So they're doing deep fried turkey now in addition to the rotisserie turkey and there's well, now i gotta talk about deep fried turkeys effing fantastic yeah it is i mean anyone who's ever <laughs> fried chicken knows that like deep frying a turkey is the only way to go it's really special it is. i can talk yeah. through the physics of frying a turkey my husband and i like just we get excited to fry a turkey but for for various reasons it's about the most redneck thing we could possibly do anywhere we go and it horrifies our neighbors and i love having to have extension cord after extension cord out the front because <laughs> Because <laughs> I, I do it in the street in front of our house because it's technically not illegal yet. So we're going to rock this to, but until the wheels fall off. And uh, yeah, it's awesome. It's a little scary. Like, I'm afraid to do it from a safety perspective. Like, I'm yes. always afraid I'm going to accidentally, like, make blow it blow up. up. Yes, yes. So, but I'm all about eating it. I just let them go outside and do it and they bring it back in. What I used to love when we lived in Texas very briefly was um, every year you'll have someone who doesn't read the instructions and they'll take the frozen turkey and throw it in the fryer. Oh, no. And it's like, it's like a cannon. It'll shoot it. So I'm like, they actually need to, I mean, if I had my way, if you've ever seen Pumpkin Chunkin, which is the quintessential American Southern redneck sport where everybody builds like a cannon and like fires uh, a pumpkin. Like a catapult? Outside, <laughs> yeah, outside of a barn. That. Oh, I want to see this. I, I mean, oh, state fairgrounds everywhere. I took the kids to go last oh. month. We're going again next month. We're going to do it in Arapahoe County. I can't wait. You've got to go like a little bit out to do it, but you shouldn't have to go too far, Dahlia, considering where you live. Jimmy, yeah, I don't, I don't know about Ohio, but y'all got rednecks before. there. Pumpkin chunkin is great. I want to have something similar with like where you take like frozen turkey and like cannibal. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds great. That sounds lethal. <laughs> Turkeys are very big. They're big and heavy, especially when they're frozen. Just saying, this is what this is what we did for fun all year long for op- opioids came around. So <laughs> I think everybody needs to embrace it. <laughs> oh 
Oh my gosh, we're so far off the reservation now, but I totally love it. Most of us are not concerned about bland. I'm concerned about bland. As a person who loves my two favorite things in the world are mustard, really spicy mustard and hot sauce. And I've, if I can't, and Thanksgiving is the meal where I can't fix it with either. There's just no place for either of the two. So it's like either I'm covering everything with salt or I'm just praying it all ends really quickly or I'm trying to see like if there's more fried. There's only so much fried Nobody turkey that I can actually consume. At your Thanksgiving? Nobody makes collard greens? Not since we moved to Denver. Uh, they don't taste right. They uh-huh. don't taste right. Because that's where my hot sauce is going. And honestly, sometimes... Now, this is the most, I think, Black American thing that I do is that I will travel with a pocket-sized hot sauce. <laughs> that's a little trick I picked up from other Black Americans. They're like, you know, you can't expect these folks to have it. You just got to put it in first. And then you're ready. Oh my God. I love it. I love it. That's amazing. Unless you come to my house. If you come to my house, like you'll have, I won't have collars because you can't get good ones out here. I don't know. There's just something about them that don't taste right. But she said, I got like 50 flavors of hot sauce on the top shelf in the fridge. All right. That's you know, awesome. this is a, this is making a lot of sense to me. I had not thought about Thanksgiving food as like the blandest sort of manifestation of American food, but you're totally right. And it reminds me of when I, for a year after college, my husband and I lived in Italy and we were really missing the U.S. and we really wanted to cook a Thanksgiving dinner. And we ended up having some Italians over for dinner and they were like really excited to try all the food and they really liked all of it. And I realized that like, all of my attempts to cook my favorite foods for like my Italian roommates when I went there in college and that kind of thing, they could not stand it because if I put just a little bit of cumin or just a little bit of any spice, they were like, oh my God, this hurts my eyes. I'm out. Like they could not deal with spice. They love herbs. They oh. love flavor that comes from other things, but spices, they like really do not have spices in their cuisine. And Italians are kind of known for being very like, Italian food is the best food. I don't need to know any other foods. I'm good. Bye. And so the Italians that we made Thanksgiving for really like were into everything except for, I think it was the mashed potatoes because they they were like, this is just weird. I don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) Why why wouldn't you? (laughs) I don't understand it either. Sense to me. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but their, their favorite was the pumpkin pie. And the, in general, because I, we used so much sage in all of our recipes, because that was the easiest of all the herbs to get there. They were just like, oh, I recognize this. This is real. This makes a lot of sense to me. And I like it. Oh, um, we were very proud of ourselves. We had never cooked a turkey before. And our oven was so small. We had to like tie it up with with dental floss to like make it fit. <laughs> like oh. make it just narrow enough to like fit it in the oh, oven. Nice. So cute. Well, yeah, you can even tell like uh, kitchens abroad aren't even made for the Mm-mm. tradition of Thanksgiving. No. The no. quantity of food that people are asked to prepare. I've never hosted Thanksgiving at my house and I don't ever intend to because I am not going to cook for six hours. I'm not doing I it. I know. No, only to it's have it come out bland. Right. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's the thing. It's like all of this trouble for cranberry sauce. Oh, don't even get me started. Well, oh my God. I'm just now realizing that not everybody's cranberry sauce comes out of a can. And I feel really cheated 
<laughs> that I will I send think, you a recipe. That oh, that is the yes. one. That's what I make for Thanksgiving every year. It's my mom's recipe. I've been making it forever, and it's and it's like a relish that you make in your blender or your food processor. Yes. My, okay, I'll send you the recipe. It's super great. easy. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And maybe yeah. we'll have to attach that to the show notes of the podcast too. Oh my okay. gosh, my yeah. mom would be thrilled. She would be so happy. Well, as you can tell with Americans, most of us don't really care about bland. I say Americans, but I, I really mean white, white people. I don't really care so much about bland. We might not have even noticed that things are bland. What we tend to be concerned about is the preparation. All traditional Thanksgiving foods come in boxes, packages, or cans, and we know that packaged foods are terrible. At the same time, why the fuck would a person make cranberry sauce from scratch? I mean, first you gotta, it's not even fun like, you know, wine in Italy where you can like, you know, take your pants off and stomp them. I mean, in the bathtub or something. That I, I would, I would do. But that is, I'm guessing that's probably not part of the recipe, Sarah. So, Dahlia, <laughs> talk, to, talk, to us a, talk to us a little bit about canned foods. They are super unhealthy and bad for you, right? That is certainly the word on the street. I will say that because canned foods are meant to last for long periods of time, there are things added for the sake of shelf stability. But in reality, if you're worried about sodium because you have been advised by a physician to watch your sodium, you can even rinse the vegetables that you get out of the can and reduce the sodium content. It is difficult to measure how much you're reducing it, but that is effective. So like if you think of canned food as a way to save you a ton of time, it's really the same as what you were going to do on your own, only there's some convenience there. It's still a whole food. So if you get beans in a can, that isn't a highly processed food. You know, I grew up on a lot of canned food. So sometimes too, it's a class marker. If you're accustomed to eating lots of canned food, that means that maybe you didn't live super close to a grocery store. If you lived in a rural area, canned food is a great option for you. If you lived on property where you were able to grow a lot of your own produce. I mean, canning is a very old practice. It's a great way to make things last beyond when they were picked. If you are worried about sodium content, you probably should be careful with it, but it's still a whole food. So it's not nearly as scary and as dangerous as people make it out to be. What about botulism? If the can is swollen, then please just throw it away. (laughs) Don't eat that. You'll be able, there will be signs that the product is no longer acceptable. I would say don't even keep dented cans. If you purchase a dented can at the store, I would say take it back. You just want to make sure that the can is not bulging at all. Aside from that, people have been canning for hundreds of years. They know how to sanitize the container before they seal it. So the thing with botulism is, Some bacteria grows well in environments that have no oxygen. So there's no oxygen available in the can, and that's why it's a great place for certain things to grow. But if you already sanitize the materials used for canning, then it's not in there to grow. So there's really nothing much to worry about. I love that you brought up the elitism angle to it because I've heard it said a lot now that, oh, it's so much healthier to eat food that's been jarred instead of canned. And that's why we do everything in these glass jars. And I have to wonder, like, do you really know what you're doing? Because if you have not actually like cleaned the environment and, and, and canned it properly, hipster, then I'm better off eating something that came from Campbell's 
whatever, yes. or Chef Boyardee, because that, at least that can is going to be clean and they're going to, they're going to know if something's wrong with it. I, so you, you don't, might not be true. able to know by looking if something in a glass jar, if it's gone south. Yeah. I get really uh, nervous about fermented foods. I think they can be yep. very healthy for you, but because I'm not super good at <laughs> doing it myself, I get scared. Like my mother told me like I could ferment my own sauerkraut and she's like, yeah, you just put it under the cabinet and you let the bacteria that's on it grow and you just put a little vinegar on it. I don't trust myself. I don't know when I'm looking at something that's gone off the rails and is now going to poison me and when I'm looking at something that that is ready to eat, you know, I opened a jar of kimchi once and it literally started climbing out of the jar, like something out of a horror movie. And I knew enough to know that kimchi was no longer good eaten. Okay. I knew that that ship had sailed, but I don't know what happened to it. So some things we want to leave to the professionals. Let's just say that. Yeah. And just because something's in a jar and you can see through it does not categorically mean that it's a better option uh, versus something in a can for a variety of reasons. Good logic about what, you know, can lead to bad choices so easily in so many different contexts. Woo. Speaking of off the reservation, where like, uh, you said a phrase, uh, Dahlia, and I was like, well, talking about like not being able to recognize bacteria being good or bad. When, uh, I married into a family of preppers and (laughs) yeah, when you watch the show, like they're, they're evolved so far past these people. It's, it's like they are ready with capital R. When we got married, I was past piece of paper and all I had on it was nutrient looping. And I'm like, what is this? And that's the skill I need to acquire. That's the gift to me, right? Our gift to you is to tell you which skill we need you to acquire oh, so that wow. we'll let you in the bunker when the apocalypse comes. Oh, not kidding. And what nutrient looping is, it's how do you grow penicillin from bacteria? So, and, and keep the loop going without it, you know, going bad. Cause the difference between, you know, botulism and penicillin is like teeny tiny so they're like go go learn wow. nutrient looping and you can basically be our, our medicine woman and again, i'm like i kind of love that dr mk medicine woman with no phd in letters or anything that's <laughs> clearly a world <laughs> worth living in uh, that's plus. fascinating i am amazed by people who know enough about plants to be able to forage but when you think about it these are skills that take years to develop and one mistake and you're dead. So I'm I'm just going to wait until it is necessary. After the zombie apocalypse, I might start trying to figure out what is and is not safe to eat in my backyard. Until that point, I want to leave it to large manufacturers who have hired people who have the education to make those choices for me. Did you ever see that movie where the it's based on a true story and the kid goes out to Alaska? He's big into outdoor living. Yes. Okay. So he accidentally kills himself. Anybody could have made that mistake. Anybody. And once it's done, it's done. I'm not trying Mm -hmm. to go down that road. No, Christopher McCandless is the is who she's talking about, and I'm oh, like, oh yes, 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 the original. Like somehow we just did not learn our lessons from him. He's like become a hero, and I don't know why. Like everyone wants to be Jack Kerouac, I get that, but at some point, live. I I don't know, I don't know. I just like you. You don't. You shouldn't need to go into the wilderness to find God. He everywhere, but but Jimmy. Now that we're talking yes. about shame. 
Women feel a lot of shame around food preparation, especially around holidays, since Thanksgiving is supposed to be, theoretically, home-cooked everything from scratch. And I know you are a shame expert. If we choose (laughs) not to stomp on cranberries in our bathtubs, because our bathtubs are nasty, to make Coach Sarah's mom's um, uh, cranberry sauce from scratch, should we feel guilty about that? Don't you dare make my mom's cranberry sauce by stomping on (laughs) shit in your bathtub. That's all I have to say. I gotta make it Italian, though. I think it's respectful. (laughs) I am not Italian. I have zero Italian blood in any of my veins. This is a very un-Italian recipe, so do not Italian it. By stomping on it in the bathtub. My, my mother is rolling over in her grave right now, MK. Oh, Miss Lerman, we miss you. I'm, so, I'm sorry, Jumi. That was for you, though. Hashtag not the bathtub. <laughs> Oh, oh I'm God. totally going to be doing this on the next snow day. We should be filling up. What are we doing? Thawing yes. cranberries, kids. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Oh, so shame. Clearly, clearly shame is not something I possess, Jimmy. Can, can you talk to us a little bit about shame and when it comes around food preparation and the six hours required? I just don't have six hours to cook. So I'm going to have to feed my family food in boxes and cans. How am I supposed to feel about that? How do I deal with the shame? You know, I am a huge believer in outsourcing your headaches and you can outsource your headaches according to the amount of dollars that are in your pocket or not. I don't think that it's okay for you to put unnecessary pressure on yourself to prepare all these meals from scratch only for you not to be able to enjoy it because you're tired and you're stressed out and you're so anxious. And I have learned over the years that there are places where I can buy my turkey and I don't have to do it for six or eight or 10 or 12 hours. I just need to put that stuff in the oven for about an hour or so and have it warm up. And I made it just like the same way that like where I buy my wigs, they become my hair. I don't have to do everything from scratch. It is totally unnecessary. You need to ask yourself, where did you get this messaging from? What is Thanksgiving about to you? You know, is Thanksgiving not automatically authentic because you didn't make your cranberry in the bathtub? <laughs> you know, like, to, you know, we stress ourselves over things that are not even necessary, right? Like find a place where they sell these things, shove them in the oven where you can warm them up so that you can enjoy the most important part of Thanksgiving, which is really you have the day off <laughs> from work. And you can just spend time with the family that you want to spend time with. Well, what if the family we're spending time with is not the family we want to be with? And that mother-in-law is really upset. She expects us every year to make everything from scratch, just like she had to when we were all growing up. So what if the shame is legit and it's not just internal? It's coming from some person that who we're going to see who will yeah. be like, when we were a child, we spent hours stomping cranberries in the bathtub. It was the best part of Thanksgiving. You kids don't do I can't yeah. believe. So there, there might be some, sorry, Sarah, we're, we're never going to let go of this. Uh, <laughs> so it, some of this shame and these expectations might be actual and real. And how do we fortify ourselves walking into a situation? And who would know better than, you know, the Nigerian therapist who buys her <laughs> Thanksgiving meals at Boston Market? You, first of all, you are not a dumpster for other people's emotions. When someone is coming into your house or you're going, or you know, or you, they're coming to your place, wherever you guys are choosing to do Thanksgiving, it's their expectation. 
It is except you have internalized their expectation and you've made it your own. They have a right to want and desire that all the meals should be made for seven days of holiness. They have a right to have expectations that you should stump all of the food in the bathtub. They have all the right to say and think and feel whatever it is that they want. The question is this, though, for you. Do you have a right to not want to do those things, number one? And number two, why is their right to have and feel more important than yours? And number three, why do you feel the need to control somebody's emotions because they're going to be upset or they're going to be irritable or they're going to be frustrated or they're going to roll their eyes? Why do you feel the need to want to control that? You have no control over how they're going to feel. You have no control over what they're going to think. This is what they do. You you have to learn over the years, especially when you're with family, for certain things not to even bother to pull those things on. There are some topics that are just going to always cause fire. And there are some people that you are never going to win with. Every single year, you go into that same room with those same people with similar topics and you come out of there defeated, right? So you've, you have to make that mental decision that with this person on issue of food and cooking from scratch, it's not a winnable issue. And you don't have to you know, get in the battleground on their turf on their turf. So let them have all the feels. A lot of the problems that we tend to have is that we want to control how other people feel. Oh, somebody's going to get upset with me. So I don't want them to get upset. Well, let them get upset. Yes, they are going to probably say something. Maybe what you need to do is prepare yourself with one or two things that you can say, um, a way that you can buffer how much time you spend with that person. Maybe you think about the way that you're going to do the seating, that the people who are sitting closest to you are the people that you want. Maybe inviting some friends that you know that they can be protective of you. Maybe think about activities that you can spend time away from them. Find ways to separate yourself from them. But ultimately, it is their expectation. And you have turned yourself into their dumpster every time somebody does that and you have to fulfill their dreams and their fantasies because that's ultimately what that is. And you know what? They're entitled to it, but you're also entitled to peace of mind. You're entitled to being able to enjoy your day off and you're entitled to being able to sit down and eat the food that you want to eat that you buy from Boston Market or Kroger or Meyer. I, you were just so classy. I can't get over it. I did a, um, a podcast uh, about a year ago called I Ain't Your Toilet. It was one of my morning mantras. I'm not your toilet. Dump your shit elsewhere. But I think yours is so much classier here. I'm not your dumpster. <laughs> I love that. I I might have to steal that one. I, I, I couldn't so agree good. more. It's so funny. It's like, where do we get these ideas that we have to make everyone happy and everyone's happiness is more important than our own. I don't know where we get that from. And I'll even say, sometimes you're on the opposite end of that. You may have a family member who just seems like they've opted out of being related to you all of a sudden, who doesn't come to, to major family events. And you're like, well, what happened to so-and-so? Who do they think they are? What do they mean? They're skipping again or whatever. But at the same time, like, Sometimes I'm kind of jealous of them because we still love them and we will still see them whenever they decide to visit us one-on-one. Yeah, we complain about them not showing up, but that's literally our problem, not their problem. And they're not letting us make it their problem. They're like, yeah, you can feel, keep your feelings. They're yours. You keep them. I don't need them. Thank you. Yes. I mean, we have to be able to tell the difference between what's mine and what's yours. And when someone comes into my home, they come into my territory where I have supreme reign. 
right? It doesn't really matter where they are in terms of hierarchy of age, right? So when we talk about culture, in my culture, if your mother-in-law were to come, you know, she has a certain amount of power, right? At the same time, sometimes we use culture as excuse to accept and give license to abusive behaviors. And if someone is going to come into your home and have their feelings and all of that stuff, that's okay. But when they step beyond that boundary and they want to chide you for making a decision about what you're going to eat and the fact that you're being hospitable, that's when they cross that boundary. And it's okay for you to find a way of letting them know. It doesn't have to be combative at all. It doesn't always have to be even something that requires a lot of confrontation. It just requires intentional planning ahead of time so that you can minimize your own levels of anxiety. Because I think it's the anxiety that that produces in us that makes us react in ways that we feel like, no, I can't do it any other way. And our brains do not have the capacity to really come up with solutions that can be very helpful for us because it's so filled with so much cortisol and and adrenaline that we can't think straight. So plan ahead of time for that family member that's coming that you already know is going to be a pain, you know, for you. And that'll be much more helpful. Because I think for a lot of our people, we think perfectionism will save us. If I do everything exactly right, then they won't come at me. Then if I, I can control the situation by being perfect and it's, it's, it's just not true. Like when you, what this is for me, it's like, well, if I can't win, I, I have supreme reign. You invited me. We're going to play my way. You know, it's like, were you sleeping when you extended this invocation? Did you forget who MK was? That's on you. And that's where I start to take the power back and have a whole lot of fun in a, in a place where I start to feel like, why is everyone being so mean? Why did they invite me in the first place? Why am I not being myself? So I'd encourage everyone to think a little bit that same way. That was what I was going to ask about too. How does that change when you're on someone else's turf and you feel it's someone's turf where you sometimes feel pretty unwelcome and you sort of feel like any, there's anything, um, like you could do or say anything and someone might kind of use it against you. And then you're not on your home turf. So you kind of feel trapped. Like, Oh, what do I, what do I do now? How do I, like, how do I come back from this? How do I kind of stand my ground and not be other people's dumpsters when I don't really feel like this is my home? I don't really feel comfortable. I don't even particularly feel welcome. You know, what I usually say to people is, so if this is someone that you already know and they tend to have certain topics that they want to bring up, that it, they're just going to trap you. It might be politics. It might be the way that you're raising your children because they, you know, they always have an opinion, right? They're highly opinionated people. Um, so if you're somebody that you already know, again, I will go in there, plan, you know, just planning things, the short, concise things that I'm going to say and try my best not to engage a lot in a lot of these conversations that really are landmines. Avoid the line. If you already know that they're landmines, you know these people, are ten- they tend to be either confrontational or they tend to be aggressive or they tend to be passive aggressive. You're not going to win that battle. You've never won that battle. You're never going to win that battle. Do not engage in that battle. When they start that topic, you may get up and say, hey, you know, let me go and help with washing the dishes or, you know, I'm going to go outside and just take the kids outside and let them play or I need to go and make this phone call or, you know, tell your friends, you know, call me, you know, in in five minutes. Find a way to, you know, just sideswipe them so that you don't have to confront them. They know you are coming. They already had a whole year. To, to do this. This is their thing. But it's different if you go into a new place where you don't know what they're going to do and all of that stuff, you know, it's, you're unprepared for it. It's okay for you to ask for a break and say, hey, sorry to interrupt. I'm enjoying this conversation, but I need to go use the bathroom. The bathroom is a good place for you to go in, sit down there, 
take a deep breath. I teach my clients this five, four, three, two, one skill for anxiety, where you, you know, use your eyes to pay attention to the five things that you can see and describe them to yourself, four things that you can feel. You know, I can feel my back on the cushion. I can feel my feet in my shoes, four things that you can feel, three things that you can hear two things that your nose can smell, one thing that your, t- your tongue can taste. And the more you can describe, observe, and describe it to yourself, the better you're going to feel because your brain is no longer engaged in that you know, cycle of ang- you know, anxious thoughts because your brain cannot have those anxious thoughts and rumination at the same time while you're doing this, right? And so if you go into the bathroom and you do your 54321, and you get really detailed with it, like I see that chair, it is green, it is leather, it is this and that the better you're going to feel and you just rinse and repeat. If you can find a way to just escape from them, bathroom is a perfect place to do it and get yourself down. And if they do another thing like, oh, I need to take this call or just sit there and nod. So again, it's the anxiety that you need to manage. You go into that place with your anxiety skills to go and you should be able to be all right. But if you go in unprepared, that's often the problem. And also if you already know that they're problematic, don't stay there for a whole day. Or get your story straight about why you only can only be there for an hour or two before you go in. Like, hey, guys, I, I can't wait. I'm looking forward. I want to see you guys. Unfortunately, we can only be there for two hours because we have to go do this. Now, my favorite is something we all learned in charm school. Believe it or not, I had to go do that shit. Um, but was to fill your pockets with mints before you went anywhere. There is nowhere I don't go without mints in my pocket. Even if they're not noticeable, they always they're in my purse. I know exactly where they are. I've got layer never more than like a grab away. And here's why: as soon as someone gets in your face and saying something you don't want to hear, oh, mm, honey, uh, okay, thank you. Here, take this. Put in their hand, shut it, like pat their hand condescendingly, and turn your head. That is a conversation ever. <laughs> Just about every single time. <laughs> they taught you that, and yeah, wow. How to get out of a conversation you don't want to be in. If conversation gets heated at a dinner table, you knock over a glass of water. Oh, I'm so sorry. Excuse me. I'll be right. That's enough to, and if that doesn't work, you do the red, the red wine next. (laughs) Or just bring your not quite potty trained child with you to Thanksgiving and send her off to play by herself after she's been eating cheese and olives all day. (laughs) She will come bursting in at just the right moment. Mommy! <laughs> that works. Worked, worked like a charm it. last Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. Because I think so much of the feelings that people have around uncontrolled eating or feeling like they can't trust themselves at Thanksgiving is because of all the anxiety. And I yes. do think it's a, that's a great tool to help people bring themselves back into the moment and get grounded. Uh, But I think to some extent, people need to accept that maybe this is going to be an uncomfortable day for you. Set boundaries as much as you can. And it doesn't last forever. I want to be really clear. The tool that Dahlia was just referring to was the 54321 method from Jumi and not a constipated Roz. (laughs) (laughs) Not actually recommended. So I'm Dahlia, I'm going to operate on the assumption that packaged foods are similarly like box stuffing mixes are not categorically unhealthy, similar to food in cans. God knows none of us make stuffing from scratch. And if you do, I want to see a video of that because I just want to know why it's never going to taste as good. So when it comes to guilt, all of this food that we complain about that we don't love in boxes prepared that's in cans, 
This is exactly what food drives are asking for. So should I feel guilty for donating foods that I really don't want to eat is what I worry is not good enough for my family, exactly what I need to be donating. Can you speak to that? I do think that it is true that boxed food is not generally as nutritious as other types of food. So frozen food is usually picked at the peak of freshness and it really is just as nutritious as fresh food. So in some cases, even more so, because once you pick something, it declines over time, its nutritional value. But when it comes to box food, it's not a whole food anymore. It's some sort of uh, derivative and it's a combination of technology and the original whole food. But like we said before, what you do once doesn't have any real lasting impact on your health one way or the other. So if it's just one day that's full of processed food because it's good as far as convenience goes for you, understand that's not going to make or break your family's health. When it comes to donating that food, some calories are better than none at all. So while it is true that if you unfortunately are food insecure, like you're homeless and you have kidney failure, you are up a creek when it comes to what food is going to be at a pantry for you. But if you don't have any calories at all, obviously you're not going to survive. So sometimes you just have to do what you can with what you have. And if that's what you can donate that the pantry can keep for long periods, There's a value in that. Like the pantry needs shelf-stable things. The pantry needs foods that people can prepare whether or not they have access to a kitchen. And a lot of times, boxed food, processed food is going to be that thing. I mean, there's just a lot of limitations with not having a home and not having a kitchen to prepare food. And the pantry has to take that into consideration. And that's why they ask for those shelf-stable things. And money. Sometimes it's like they're like trying to find something to give you. If you have stuff to give it, this it might be better just to give some money. That is true. That is true. Yeah. Uh, And this final note is someone who is uh, has experienced being on the other side of this equation. It is one thing to take your children to a soup kitchen, but they are not there to be like these. These people do not exist to be your child's life lesson. Be very, very cautious about how you do it. And we'll talk more about that when we come to Christmas. But at the same time, be be delicate. You're trying to help people. And if you're trying to teach your children a lesson about having, not having and generosity, then remember, you're doing it at the expense of someone who might be down on their luck. And what you're doing is might be the opposite of generous. And the person who might need that lesson is you. Oh, yeah. You said mouthful. That's very yeah, true. Definitely. Yeah. I get really conflicted when I, when I hear people like I, you need a volunteer in a soup kitchen. Yes, of course. Like we'll find the time and go at the same time, like demanding to bring your kids along. There are all sorts of ways to have this conversation. There are, we're in a housing crisis in America, an affordable housing crisis in America. The in numbers of the homeless population are growing at alarming rates. And there are all kinds of ways to have this conversation without and to learn about gratitude without having to see the gratitude in someone's face, without demanding that a homeless person perform gratitude in a moment oh, so yes. your child can get it in a soup kitchen. Um, and that's that's kind of grotesque. Right, right. And honestly, if you're teaching your child to give because having someone show that they're grateful for what what you did, that's that's kind of problematic in itself. You give for the sake of giving. You give because there's a need to be filled and it shouldn't have any connection to how that person might respond because people are under no obligation to be grateful. 
the whole idea of obligating gratefulness is kind of ridiculous. So I know there are a couple of reasons to not be super into Thanksgiving. Like it's nice in theory, but why would you relegate being grateful to one day? And two, it's got a problematic history, you know? So Mm -hmm. I understand if people are not going to participate at all, but that's a whole nother conversation. No, it absolutely, absolutely is. So there, the Thanksgiving can't be a wonderful thing. It can be really, really terrible. Its roots are incredibly uh, problematic for a whole lot of people. And let's uh, not totally forget about them this time of year, too. In the show notes, you're going to find a link to 10 Native American recipes from a gentleman named Sherman that I found in the New York Times and thought was pretty terrific, many of which involved choked cherries, which uh, I, I'm pretty sure they do not stomp in the bathtub uh, in the in the Italian tradition. So, no. But my mother-in-law makes choke cherry syrup. We actually have a bunch of it in the house. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. In Montana, that's she. She does that every summer. She goes and she gets the choke cherries. You can find them kind of everywhere, and they're very. They're actually pretty hard to process because the seed is so much of the actual cherry. There's not a whole lot of juice in every one, but you get a whole lot of them. And the syrup is really nice and tart. That does not sound like it would be good for your plantar fasciitis to stomp on in the bathtub. So yeah, no, no, not recommended. <laughs> oh my gosh, we have so much to be grateful for this holiday season, but more than anything, we are grateful for your time, Dahlia and Jumi. Thank you so much for sharing uh, some of your knowledge with us. I'm going to feel a whole lot less guilty about going to Boston Market and buying all kinds of things that I sure as hell don't want to cook. Enjoy your cruise, and hopefully we will see you next month when we talk about how to be happy at Christmas. Because <laughs> now that we have finally solved the nut of how to be grateful at Thanksgiving, Christmas is going to be easy, right? Yay! Yay! <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.